Welcome back to the Registry R Roundup for the week commencing Monday the 27th of April with all the regulatory news and views from your top trade repository team. And this week we have a very special show because uh, dialing in live from London as ever, we have Nick Bruce, who is Head of Business Development for Registry R. Hello, everyone. But our very first special guest is joining us, Dario Crispini, who's the CEO of Kaizen, the trade reporting expert. Good morning. Yes, nice to meet you. Now, we're lucky to have Dario here. He is a world-renowned expert on uh, financial regulation and data reporting. And so we're going to be going in-depth from MIFID right the way through to SFTR and beyond. But before we do that, because this is a financial services podcast and anything could happen in the next 15 minutes, we need to have a legal disclaimer. But to make it more fun, we've set it to some uplifting gypsy jazz. This podcast is sponsored by Registr and features members of the Registr team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information within it, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registr as an organisation. This is a red-letter week for us. Joining us from Kaizen Reporting, it's Dario Crispini. Kaizen, our regulatory reporting specialists, and you're offering a whole range of quality assurance services and software solutions for MIFID, MIR, uh, obviously SFTR coming up, uh, and other sort of G20-based stuff. Uh, Before we talk about that, um, I want to say that you also were head of... Um, transaction monitoring, monitoring at the FCA one. So you're you're sort of poacher turned gamekeeper turned landowner. I guess is, a, is, is that's a terrible <laughs> analogy. I'm so sorry. Hi, Andrew Walker, writer yeah. and podcaster. So yes, uh, thank, thanks for the intro, Andrew. Um, yeah, I mean, I got into reporting pre Mifid One Go Live, um, where I was brought in. I was already working at the FSA, and I took over the transaction monitoring unit. I had to oversee the implementation of MIFID one, and um, you know that 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 regulation was a continuation of the reporting that was already introduced in the UK by the uh, by the regulator going back to the uh, TSE, I think it was. Uh, reporting was uh, really instigated by Lindsay Thomas, and I think it goes back to 1985. And we've had some form or other in the UK, but uh, Mifid two, Mifid one was the um, introduction of that reporting regime and extension of it to the rest of Europe. And you, you um, were you were working at the FCA for Mifid one back in the heady days when regulatory reporting only had twenty four fields of data, right? Yeah, that's right. We had twenty four fields. Um, uh, not long before Mifid One, we just extended it in the UK to cover some o- OTC derivatives. Um, but uh, yeah, twenty-four fields doesn't sound like too much of a challenge. But Mifid Mifid One was a challenge for the industry, and there was a lot of resistance to it. And uh, I like to—I remember all the meetings I went to and the, uh, the the challenges I got in terms of why are we doing this, etc. And uh, when Mifid Two was coming along. Um, there was uh, so much clamour for, can't we just stay with MIFID 1? It's great. <laughs> Lower settlement breaks and so on. Well, it's good that you're here because this week there has been some data uh, news, so to speak. I see that uh, Isla has set up a new working group, um, which is a response to the Bank of England paper, I think, that came out on the 7th of, of January uh, about 
transforming data reporting across the whole sort of securities lending industry. Um, Nick, you're a member of ISLA, aren't you? Well, me personally, yeah. um, but on a personal basis, no, they're not that interested in um, in what the Bruce household gets up to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. From a from a registered perspective, um, yeah, look, we're an active participant in the working group. So is uh, ICMA, etc. Yeah, the working group is probably going to look at supporting the uh, the the pressure that there is now to move towards more dig- digital reporting so there's a program at the fca and uh, i think it's in conjunction with the boe um to look at the possibilities of regulators producing not rules but code that can be implemented by firms to generate the transaction reports or emir reports etc uh, there there are some challenges because reporting is not just about what is being asked by the regulator, but it's it's an interplay between the contracts that firms are striking with their clients and their counterparties and their own trading models. And so that all of that has to come together to generate what should be in the transaction report or the EMEA report or the SFTR. That that process um, is, is very complex and very firm specific. So I, I'm, I think we're quite a long way from being able to press a button and say, here's your rules, and that's going to suddenly produce the uh, the reports that are necessary. Before this can really, this kind of development can be fully implemented, you need to start seeing more of a harmonising of the technology layers underneath that as well. So I think there's a number of challenges. But, it, you know, this has to be the direction, the direction of travel. So the future regulatory change, you know, which we see in all of, you know, the updates through refit, et cetera, there are huge pull on resources. And it means that all the institutions have competing priorities and anything that can actually simplify that process and expedite its introduction, I think has to be a positive. Uh, I don't think there's, um, you know, I know there's a silver bullet that can solve all of these problems anytime soon. So there's a working group at ISLA, it's looking into fintech and, you know, how code can actually be disseminated via um, uh, NCAs and reporting authorities, which is great. But isn't there another problem? EMIR was uh, drafted in 2012, it it came into full effect in 2014. And as we know, it's a very different world uh, in terms of technology, in terms of data, in terms of interoperability. We think about what's happened in uh, securities systems and in the amount of data we can capture. All of that has changed. It's very international. And yet, obviously, Amir stops uh, around the, the, the EU. Uh, and so there is a question, is Refit really going to upgrade it enough, or isn't it time for a, a ground-up rethink? Yeah, that's a, a, a really good question. I think uh, the situation we find ourselves in today with uh, COVID and the, the, the uncertainty from an economic point of view that brings... Uh, that means that the regulators need to understand where the financial industry is, where the risks are sitting, and, uh, and, and across all companies. So it's going to put stress on these these reporting regulations, and the question will be asked, are they fit for purpose? Uh, as you mentioned, Amir, the financial tsunami early warning system, does it work? Uh, does it tell us where risk is if if the messages if the emir reports stop at our borders why does that tell us where where the risk is so um you can have a counterparty in the us that you don't know what the risk is of that counterparty 
uh, what other other exposures they have. So, you know, you, you don't know where the house, what house of cards is standing on. There we go. From my side, something that certainly um, I'd be interested from your perspective, knowing how closely Kaizen work with certainly with across the regulators across the um, the EU landscape is sort of in the current environment with COVID. What's your view around um, the way that they are sort of adopting their approach or adapting their approach? So are you seeing that they're being more lenient in certain quarters? Um, what's the feeling you get from that, from those um, sort of the, the key NCAs? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I think they have to recognise the situation everybody finds themselves in. Um, and uh, most of the NCAs have a statutory obligation to use their powers in a proportionate manner. So they have to take into consideration the overall environment that we're trying to work our way through. Um, the the FCA has come out with a number of uh, comments around um, where its focus will be. The, the thing to remember is that they need this data to be able to do their job. And uh, their job becomes a lot more important today when we're in a stress situation than under normal operating conditions. So um, the, the reporting is, is just as important. They've, they've been uh, forced to allow firms to uh, have remote uh, execution of trades. So you know, traders moving away from the trading floor, which is a controlled environment, to um, a, a less controlled environment locally um, in their homes, etc. And so I think post-crisis, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny of all that the activity and the trading activity that's been undertaken from a market surveillance, market uh, market abuse perspective to get confidence that um, and give confidence to the market that everything worked well. Um, so, and they'll be expecting firms to do that as well. Uh, so, post post, uh, so you've got your daily controls and your uh, your real time uh, controls around surveillance within each firm. Um, but after the after this crisis is uh, eased, they'll expect a much more detailed analysis of that information. I mean, that leads to another question. Certainly, in my mind, is what do you think the key challenges are going to be then for market participants? Because from what you said, and I, you know, I completely agree with it. Is you've maybe got to a degree a relaxing by the regulators in the current environment, but you're going to see a ramping up, particularly about the maybe the the quality of the data over this period. You've also then got market participants who are then looking at, and at the moment are still managing these rollout process, the rolling out processes of their own projects, looking at SFTR. So there's a lot of competing. Um, priorities there and challenges what are the main ones that you're seeing from your side and what do you think are the, the sort of the key priorities the firm should be looking at well um i mean first off i think that uh, they've already called out data quality uh, we know that um the uk fca has been criticized for its lack of activity around emir supervision so we kind of expected that to go up anyway and we'll just see an increase there. Around SFTR, though, uh, it's a different story. I think when you're doing something new, it's not a, a standard process. When you're doing something new, it's much harder to operate and to move that forward within when people aren't together. And, you know, the regulator has to recognise that. ESMA's obviously given a three-month delay. Um, 
and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's extended at all. Um, I actually called out that there will be a delay to SFTR. It was pretty close to the wire anyway. I mean, firms were going to yeah. be under a lot of pressure, um, and given the complexities we've mentioned. But um, I think there's an opportunity now for firms to get into a much better position. And they're probably in a better position than they were under MIFID 2 because they had a year's delay under MIFID 2. And a lot of the projects wouldn't have really mobilized by then. And you could see that it will just um, extend out the projects, whereas the SFTR delay came towards the end where the tier ones needed to be ready. So I think this is going to be a valuable three months for them. So hopefully, and we're, we're working with a number of clients that they're, they're getting ready to report. They're already pushing records into test environments. And so we're able to use this in, this time to do testing. You need to know what's going on. You need to know where the big problems are. And if you can get the testing done and start to um, uh, eradicate those problems before go live, before real reporting, then you're reducing your ongoing costs of reporting. You're starting out from a good base. Um, that said, I mean, regulators understand that any new regime and of this complexity, it's not going to be perfect straight out of the, the doors. And uh, it's going to need time to mature and firms need to be working post-go-live on testing, finding where the problems are and then addressing those. Yeah, I think that's a very good point as well. I mean, I agree with you with the test, test, test. Certainly we're seeing it in the test environment, the way that that's really ramped up, particularly over the last probably four weeks, um, the, the volume of clients now that are using that and are, are sort of very, very active in it. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that's um, like um, I know we referred to it earlier, you know, there's always with any new regulation, there's going to have to be an interpretation around in practice, how does that work? And getting that validation in terms of, look, it may, it's look, the regulators looking to achieve a certain goal and market practice operates this way. So this is the way the market is going to populate that field. I mean, that's valuable input. And I think if you have that, that sort of a market standard, that goes a long way to offsetting any questions. Um, and it's funny, we've talked before in previous podcasts, I hope you've listened to them, um, Daria, but we were talking about Brexit and we talked about crystal ball. And anyone listening to this, I can absolutely confirm that Dario does have a crystal ball somewhere because <laughs> when we met up just before Christmas, you said to me, SFTR absolutely will be delayed. Um, and the other thing I'm hoping, because we were talking about Arsenal, um, I'm not going to say anything more about Arsenal, but you said to me, you were very much glass half full and I was a glass half empty. So you called SFTR, right? So I'm just, I'm hoping you called um, the future of <laughs> Arsenal right as well. Well, yeah, well, fingers crossed. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the rest of the season. On health and safety grounds, gentlemen, I do think we should point out now that the crystal balls are only to be used for predicting the future of football matches. Don't actually try and play football with crystal balls. As any psychic will tell you, you will break <laughs> your foot. OK, now I hate to do this to you, but we are running out of time on this week's Roundup. So all that really remains is to say thank you very much to Dario Crispini, CEO of Kaizen. And Dario is going to be coming back to join us to talk about more of the complexity and fun of the world of data. So, Dario, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you all. And, of course, no Registry R Roundup would be complete without uh, the voice of reason, Nicholas Bruce, Head of Business Development for Registry R. Just one thing I wanted to mention as well is at Kaizen, 
and I don't know if anyone has seen some of the posts on LinkedIn, uh, but James Dean at Kaizen has been doing a lot of mad things, all for charity, which I think are absolutely amazing. And I noted that he recently um, rode 3,000 miles across the Atlantic. So what I would say to um, to everyone is, if you haven't read the stories, have a look to have a look at the Kaizen posts um, on LinkedIn. It's a great cause. I mean, it's certainly something that everyone should be supporting. Um, so hats off to James. He's doing a great job there. Yeah, thanks very much, Nick. I mean, James is a yeah, very special, very special person, and, he, and it's not just the three thousand mile row across the Atlantic. They're raising a hundred thousand for the um, Teenage Cancer Trust, which they, I think, they're going to smash that uh, that uh, target. But um, they still need as much support as they can get from that perspective. Thanks again to Dario Crispini for his expert insights there into the uh, big picture of data reporting regulations across the EU. Now, it's almost time to go, um, but we do have time just for one last report. Uh, here's a quick Brexit update from Acting Chief Operations Officer for the UK and Head of Product for Europe, John Kernan. Hi there, listeners. I was unable to make the live recording on Friday, so I am in my Brexit cupboard here in Luxembourg giving you a quick update over the weekend. On April 24th, the second round of virtual EU-UK future negotiations ended without significant progress on fundamental issues. Michel Barnier described that the negotiations had been constructive, but that there was a lack of commitment on fundamental issues. David Frost, the UK's lead negotiator, reiterated the UK's rejection of an extension to the transition period during this week. But Barnier warned that time was very short and that the COVID-19 pandemic raises legitimate questions as to whether an agreement could be reached in the remaining time. As we mentioned last week, two rounds of negotiations remain until the 30th June 2020, during which both sides can formally agree to extend their transition period beyond the end of this year. The former UK Chancellor Philip Hammond suggested that the UK and EU could agree an interim trade arrangement in the coming months that would end the Brexit transition but gives both sides some breathing space. Such an interim agreement would temporarily maintain the status quo free from quotas and tariffs, he said. Hammond added that it would be unwise for the UK government to push for divergence from the EU, as a second potential shock within this year could be an uncompetitive advantage for the UK as the pandemic continues. So that's it for my Brexit update this week. Hope to be on the live recording next week. Happy coincidence this week that I managed to avoid the Arsenal love-in between Dario and Nick. That, that, would, have been, uh, that would have been painful. OK. Bye. Thanks, John. We'll be back next week when we'll have Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services, back with us, and Nick and uh, John Kernan. And uh, there'll be more from the Roundup team then. And if you'd like to support James Dean from Kaizen and his fundraising for the Teenage Cancer Trust, uh, you can find that link on their homepage at kaizenreporting.com. It's entitled Social Distancing on the Atlantic Ocean. In the meantime, from everyone here at The Roundup, we hope you have a good week and we will be back for more news and views and analysis uh, next Monday. See you then.